The Motherhood Memo recognises the traditional owners of the land which we have recorded this podcast. We pay our respects to past, present and emerging community leaders. We also extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners. Have you ever wondered why pregnancy and elements of motherhood are shrouded in secrecy? There's a whole other world out there full of surprises which no one talks about. Embarking on the journey of motherhood may appear straightforward until reality hits you like a ton of baby bricks. Welcome to the Motherhood Memo, where we delve into our journeys into motherhood, fearlessly sharing our own hilarious, honest and enlightening experiences. I'm your host, Sophie Tymon, and I'm joined weekly by my co-host and sister, Ashley Grebe. This relaxed podcast is a place where sips turn into giggles, gossips turn into insights, and listeners become an honoured member of our sisterhood. Cheers Cheers to to that. that sounds like the beginning of her Jordan Sparks song. It does. One step at a time. <laughs> you guys wouldn't have been able to hear that. <laughs> but there was like a stepping sound, like a beat that counted us in. One, yeah. two, three, four. And then I just started like crumping. <laughs> Is that even a I word w- anymore? Yeah. I won't do any more singing. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> guys, happy 2024. Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. It's all happened in a flash. Yeah. Yeah. Ashley and I are currently together right now. We all know we get excited when we get to record together. Yep. Because I'm in Brisbane for the whole of January. Joe and I and Arabella and the dog, we all shipped ourselves up here and we're here for the month and it's already been so nice and it's only a week. And you're never going home. The end. Don't tell Joe that. (laughs) (laughs) But we were so excited. First episode of the year. Yes. And we thought what better way to kick off the year by getting to know Ashley a little bit better. If you go look at our last episode, it's like Sophie this, Sophie that. so And it's like, okay, Sophie, like it's not all about you. <laughs> hey, co-host over here. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> We're going to be jumping into Ashley's birth stories. Sir. Sir. Multiple children. Yeah. Yeah. Today, they're both quite different from one another. Yeah, they are. Yeah. So I'm just going to be handballing it pretty much straight to Ashley, the way we did my birth story. If there's some things I want to ask or I feel like you've missed out, I'm just going to ask some questions. Sure. You know, throughout. And yeah, I think like we just rip in, right? Okay, let's do it. I'm nervous. I'm pretty sure I said exactly that before we recorded mine as well. I don't know what it is. Like it's your story. Yeah. And you can tell it any way you want, but you don't want to miss anything out. You don't want it to be super sad or super happy. You just want it to be what it is. Yeah. And it's like, there feels, I don't know, there's pressure. There's weird it's pressure. a lot of pressure. Yeah. You want to give it justice. But yeah, like you said, I don't want to scare people. I don't yeah. want to make anyone feel a certain way. Yeah. But you know what? Who cares if that's what it does? Because this is what it is. Your story is your story. Yeah. And we just, you know, unleash, don't hold back. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it then. All right. Okay. So I wanted to start by saying that I was so uneducated and uninformed when my eldest daughter, Ella, was born. Did you do any sorts of research at all? Zero. Okay. I did nothing. And she's five now and she is a wonderful, happy, gentle, loving little girl. And I'd absolutely do it all again. But for me at that time in my life, I was just surrounded by women who had wonderful, easy, natural births. Yeah. So that was what was going to happen for me. I didn't look anywhere else Mm. because that was my plan. 
and it was going to happen. Like our mum, for example, who birthed me, a 10 and a half pound whale. 10 and a half pounds. And what's that in kilos? It's like five kilos, isn't it? 10.5 pounds. I'm Googling, guys, so we can get this. 10 and a half pounds is ginormous. That's four point round up, 4.8 kilos. Yeah, close. Yeah. And your average baby is like low threes. Yeah, that's pretty normal. In kilos, yeah. That's like a normal baby. So that's big. And then she went on to birth you and Melissa. Baby whales. Yeah. What are you, 9.8 and 7.14 pounds. So again, big children and yeah. two of us. Yeah. So I thought, look, I'm her daughter. I'm going to be able to birth a whale because she did it <laughs> and I'm and she made me. and So I can do it. The apple doesn't fall far in most instances with our family as well. So I can yeah. see why you would think that. Yeah. And like I've always been that person that grew up excited to be a mother, excited to be pregnant, excited to have a baby. So it was just really optimistic that it was going to go exactly the way that I'd planned. Anyway, so I got pregnant really fast. It was only about our first month of trying, so not too dissimilar to you with Arabella. Um, And my pregnancy was pretty textbook. Mm -hmm. And other than a little nausea from weeks about 6 to 12, it was smooth sailing. And you were one of those women that actually had pregnancy glow. You just looked fantastic all the time. You carry really well. Thank you. You don't feel like that when it's happening to you, but it's nice if that's what it looks like from the other side. Mm. Yeah. So I picked an obstetrician off the internet, sort of like what you did as well, because I didn't know anybody who'd really had babies. So I thought, well, she looks nice. She works at the hospital that I liked. and Some good reviews. Yeah, she had some good reviews. And my, my GP said that she was good. So I was like, okay, let's do that. So everything was going really well. Um, it was about, I was only about 25 weeks though, when she started talking to me about my baby being big. It's like, in hindsight, how on earth could you have known? My body, like, I literally just flush with heat because that's how mad, like, it makes me so mad. Yeah. Now that I know what we know, particularly from our episode with Dr. Hugh. Yes. Like, that's just like, you can't track a baby size at 25 weeks if you think it's going to be big. No. And you don't have gestational diabetes like no. there was nothing else going on no so to make that call just feels so wrong and she was also telling me that I needed to watch my weight and you're like you've never been overweight your whole entire life I think I put on like maybe 15 kilos in the pregnancy but that was I put that on that's not that's not unnormal no. so yeah mm. there was lots of talk about me being big or getting big and the baby getting big pretty early in the piece 25 weeks you still got 15 I know weeks to go yeah Okay. Yeah. So, but I didn't know anything at that time. So I just thought, well, this is what my doctor's telling me. My baby's a bit big. Ben was actually secretly proud of that because he thought, great, like big, healthy baby. So we just thought, this is good. This is all good. And she's a doctor. So they have this power or they make you feel as though. Yeah. And it might just be our subconscious. We're like, they're a doctor. They know what's right. Like, I'm going to take everything they say. Yeah. Not with a grain of salt. It's like Bible. Bible. It was Bible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the conversation about her being big started pretty early on in the piece and it was closely followed by talks of induction. I knew people who had had really positive inductions and, you know, it was around 39, 38, 39 weeks. So I was pretty pregnant and a bit over it. And I thought, well, if she thinks this is the best way to get the baby out, let's do it. So that's what we signed up to. So it was Wednesday, the 17th of April. This is 2019. So I've had to go back through the notes to figure this one out. And it was around 6pm, so we checked into the MARTA, which is a hospital in South Brisbane for anybody who's local. And then they monitored me for a little bit, they monitored Ella for a little bit, and they decided they'd check my cervix and see if there was anything happening because we hadn't quite started the induction yet. Nothing. 
there was absolutely nothing happening. It could not have been more closed, more thick. It was pretty much saying this baby is not ready to be born. Which is not uncommon. You're only at 39 weeks. Correct. For a first baby. And, you know, as we learned from the episode with Dr. Porter, I was not in a favourable position for an induction at that point. Mm -hmm. I probably should have waited another week. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. And I was just trusting my doctor at the time. So they put the gel on. I had that on overnight and it was just like period cramps. It wasn't too bad. I didn't really sleep though because, you know, hospital bed and you're cramping. I was just kind of resting. Yeah. So the next morning we were supposed to go down to birth suite at 6.30 a.m. That was the plan. But the hospital was really busy. So my obstetrician came in and checked me at about 9 a.m. And that's when she told me that I was one centimetre. So much work for one centimetre. So much work. Like even though you weren't in that much pain, it's a very long time to have continual cramps. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, progress is progress. So I tried not to be disheartened at that point in time. As we do. Yes. (laughs) So she put another round of gel on and I was told to do things like walk the stairs, bounce on the bouncy ball, have a shower, like keep moving, like to bring the baby down. So that's what I did. So I spent the day walking the stairs of the Mater Hospital, doing anything I could to dilate. But that... That just doesn't make sense. Like, I've never heard of that. I've never heard you're only one centimetre start walking and, and things. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's just like you're not even in active labour. No. So, um, yeah, look, I'm no professional, but that just feels so weird. Yeah. To and be like, doing, like being told by a doctor to do those things when you're only one centimetre. And like, I still had so far to go. Like, yeah. hindsight, I should have been trying to conserve energy because I was only one centimetre. Yeah. But I wasn't. I was exerting myself climbing stairs yeah. because that's what I was told to do. So I did that like pretty much all day and I was getting pretty knackered by the end of it. The contractions were getting more intense. So I thought, look, this is going to work. This is going to be some progress next time my obstetrician checks me. She didn't actually come back and check me until about 6 p.m. that night. So, so almost 12 hours. Yeah. So we were meant to be in birth way at 6.30 in the morning. It was 6 p.m. at night before I had my second check. Wow. So she checked me again. I was still one centimetre. <gasps> And I thought, oh my gosh, this isn't working. You know, hindsight again, probably should have tried something else. Should have gone home. Probably gone home. Maybe tried the balloon. Yeah. Like, you know, but instead she broke my waters. Yeah. At one centimetre. And I didn't know. I thought, okay, this is what we need to do to get it going. Let's do it. So she broke my waters. Which we all now know you have a choice. You don't have to have your waters broken at that stage. But once they're broken, the clock starts. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, but they shouldn't have been broken at that stage. And like Dr. Hugh said, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Anyway, so they were broken and she put the drip in at the same time, the Sintosin drip, to get contractions really going. This woman had like a holiday to get to the next day or something. Yeah. That's how it feels. Well, Ella's due date was Anzac Day. So. Oh <laughs> she had to get to the pub. She's got some like <laughs> coin tossing to do. So I'm pretty knackered by this point. Like it's been a whole day and I've been walking around trying to get this labour going and now I've got this drip in which has really kicked it up into next gear. So – I felt like they were a 7 out of 10. The contractions now, they were like a 30 out of 10. Wow. I stuck it out for about two hours um, with the gas, which I hated. It just makes you feel dizzy. And then I decided I can't do this. I'm going to need an epidural because I was just too tired. You're like two days in now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And another thing was because I had the drip, I had the, you know, the pole that the bag hangs from attached to me. I also had wired like traces on my tummy for the baby's heart rate, which were connected to a machine. So I couldn't move. I was actually stuck in or around my bed. Which you can get wireless ones. Yes, you can. But I didn't know that at the time. So I didn't know to ask. So I kind of, the only way I can describe it is I felt like a caged animal because it was just excruciating pain and I couldn't move. And so I thought... I can't do this anymore. So that's when I got the epidural. Oh, my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh, no, don't. You make me cry. The thing that what makes this – this isn't my story, but mm. the fact that I had you going through all of this and I just, like, was so oblivious to it all because I didn't have any friends that had babies. So, like, I couldn't give you advice. Like, yeah. now I know what I know and I hear your story. It just makes me so sad because there were so many things that we could have done to help you be more comfortable and, like, to maybe have had a really different experience. Don't be hard on yourself. You were like 25. You didn't know. know. I was a baby myself. Yeah, you were. Yeah, it's hard to hear. Now you're seeing it out through a mother's eyes. It's a bit different. Yeah. Yeah, so I got the epidural and thankfully they came pretty quickly and that kicked in pretty fast. So it was shortly after that all started working that you came. Mm. You and mum and Melissa came into the room. So it was around 9pm after I just sort of laying in the bed chatting to you guys. So you probably looked like everything was going swell when you got there because I just had the epidural. (laughs) (laughs) And my obstetrician checked me again and I was three centimetres. How many hours are we in now? Well, I checked in at 6pm on Wednesday. This is 9pm on Thursday. Yeah, well, okay. So we're well over 24 hours now. And and you've been walking and bouncing and And you haven't just been sitting there. No, I'm just... You've been uncomfortable since the moment you've been in there. Totally. Mm. I was really deflated when she said I was three centimetres. I was happy that something had happened, but at the same time, I knew that it wasn't enough, especially given how hard I felt like my body had been working. So she decided to just leave me a little bit longer and then the epidural started to wear off. I don't know if you quite remember that. Because I, I was getting Ben to massage my feet, but yeah, like with f- the full force of his hands. Mm. His hands were cramped for like a week after that mm. because I just needed something to distract me because it wasn't working. So they had the anaesthetist come back and he topped it up. And that did help a bit, but it still didn't quite. Did they get you to move around on the bed? At yeah, all? they were kind of yeah, tilting yeah. me from side to side a little bit, but it just didn't matter where I was. It, half my body was still not numbed. So yeah, the, the top up helped but I still wasn't fully numb like I was initially and then it was just about past midnight and that's when everything went into like fast forward mode because Ella's heart rate went up and my obstetrician came in and she said your baby's not happy and you've got an hour and I was only three centimeters what am I going to do in an hour nothing was going yeah nothing was going to get me there she said you've got an hour we'll see what happens otherwise it'll be a cesarean now up until this point my obstetrician had never talked to me about a cesarean. I never investigated a cesarean. I didn't know what was involved. How she it was knew you were only feel. at three centimetres, right? She yeah. hadn't even sat down and spoken about options and no. what she saw maybe coming. And No. It was just, I'm going to come back in an hour. If, it's, if she's not happy, we're going. I thought, okay. So, yeah, I had zero idea what was involved and like how the recovery was going to be. I knew nothing. But I just thought, well, if this is how I'm going to meet my baby, then let's do it because my priority was just get her out. Like if she's unhappy, I want her out. So the midwives like put me, like started like, unpl- like 
pretty quickly, started mm. ripping all the cords off me and everything. And we were in there helping yeah. you pack up the bags. Pack up the bags because you bought, guys bought like a mountain of snacks and things that you're like trying to pack away really quickly. <laughs> and, you know, they're throwing a pair of scrubs at Ben. And I remember one midwife actually was really nasty because I still had a bra on. No one told me to take it off, but it was interfering with her unplugging all the cords. And I remember apologizing to her. And now I look back, I'm like, why the hell was I apologizing to her? I was about to be wheeled down for emergency surgery. Why was she nasty to me? But in the moment, I was just like, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know why I remember that. It just sticks with me. It just wasn't very nice. I wish we knew who she was. Yeah. I would have written a letter. Most of the midwives at the Mater are amazing. That was just this one woman. So, And then, yeah, they quickly wheeled me down to theatre and then they made me like sign a waiver, I think it was. It was all kind of a blur and they were asking me if I had like medals in my body and stuff like that. And I just thought, I don't care, like just whatever. And then so they wheel you in and they move you from the ward bed to the theatre bed and they're like, okay, well, can you feel any of your body? And I said, yes, I can still feel it. They said, well, let's top up the epidural again. So this is the third time they've topped it up. And they wait a couple of minutes and then they start like pricking my stomach. And they're like, can you feel that? And I said, yes. And they're like, really? So yes. Clearly isn't in right. So something's not right. Yeah. So then they, yeah, topped it up for the third time and then they tilted the table. So I was head down and legs sort of in the air, laying on the operating table. Somehow they thought that might circulate it better in my body. And I must have only been for a couple of minutes, but that was really weird. And then they sat me back up and they thought, okay, we're good to go now. And then I'm like, hang on. No, I can still feel it. So they're like, all right, sit up. But of course I couldn't sit up because I can't feel half my body. So they kind of like forced me up, spin me around. And that's when they're like, we need to do a spinal block on you because the epidural is just not working. So I thought, okay, like whatever you need to do, let's just get it done. But like looking at it now, I'm like, geez, that was a lot. I thought that they could redo a failed epidural. Yeah. They never tried to. They just kept topping it up. Yeah. I'm yeah, I'm not really sure. So we sum it up. It was thirty three hours, two rounds of gel, having my waters broken, three epidurals and a spinal block, and then they laid me back down and then it was finally time to get her out. And I was shaking like pretty violently by this point because I had so many like medications running through your body and natural adrenaline. Yeah. And I just remember like wanting to like pass out because like my body just wanted to stop, but I just refused. Because you were so tired. I was like, I'm meeting my daughter. I don't know why this obsessed me so much only five (laughs) years later, but it just does. It's emotional. I think any birth story, whether it's hard or whether it's not hard, is emotional. And yours has bloody – you had everything thrown your way. So, of course, you're going to be emotional. You have every right to be. So, there was just lots of pushing and moving my body around. And then before I knew it, they dropped the drape and, like, there she was. And she was pink and she was crying. She was born at about 3.30 in the morning. And at all 8.6 pounds of her. So she wasn't that big. She wasn't a monster like they were talking about. She wasn't a monster. <laughs> She's a bigger girl. She was bigger. But like one more week wouldn't have been impossible for you to birth. No. it probably She probably would have been about nine pound. Yeah. Which would have got her right around her sister's weight. But anyway, we'll get to that. So they wrapped her up and they gave it to me. And I couldn't even really lift my arms because I was just shaking too violently. So Ben like held her next to my head. And then the next thing... They told Ben to take Ella and go into the waiting room 
And then so they could stitch me back up. But at no point had anyone discussed the fact that they would leave me. Mm. I didn't know they were going to leave me. Ella being your daughter that you had just birthed. Yeah, after like 33 hours and all of a sudden she's gone. And then I'm laying on this cold table in this bright room with these people I don't know while they put me back together. And it was just like the, the worst few minutes. And now you know, and this is what makes it harder for you, is now you know your baby could have stayed with you yes. while they did all of that work. That's right. It's an, the obstetrician's choice and she chose to tell Ben to take the baby out. And there was no reason for that because I was fine, mm. everything was fine. Mm. Having gone through all of that and then for her to be gone was just really scary. And when I returned into recovery, I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm never going to let that happen again. I'm never going to feel this way again. So it was about after an hour in recovery that I was taken to the ward where you and Melissa and mum were waiting for me. And I kind of felt like proud of myself at the time that I just made it through this huge surgery that I didn't even know I was going to have. But it wasn't until like I really stopped to think about it in the following weeks that I realised how affected I was because I felt like a passenger in my own birth. I had no control. I had no say. And I knew that next time I was going to call all the shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course it takes time. It do- Like you're not going to think about what just happened to you when you've got your baby girl that you've been growing forever in your hands. I know. You're not going to be thinking about any of that. No. So it takes time. It takes moment. Like you need to get home. You need to sit down, take a breath. Mm. And then you start really thinking through your, your story. I think that's part of like where maybe the system lets women down is there's no debrief. Absolutely. Like my following appointment when Ella was six weeks with the obstetrician was just to check my scar and weigh the baby. But see, six weeks is too long. Yeah. Someone should be coming in and checking you a week after you've left the hospital Mm. and doing your debrief. Like you yes. should, like that should be mandatory. I agree for a women's mental health. Yeah, even if your birth went exactly the way that you wanted it to, people can still feel a certain way about things, and so I think it's really mm. important to talk about it. And that's probably why I still get so emotional about it because I never really processed it. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something you can ask your obstetrician. You can say, "I'd like to do a debrief," you know, a week after my birth. Is that something that you will do with me? That's yeah. something you could ask before you select your obstetrician. Or this is when you can engage a doula and yes. you can have them come and see you. Yes. Because fourth trimester, which I think we say this at the end of every episode, what we're going to talk about next, <laughs> we're going to be talking about fourth trimester because it is so important and I think it's the most important trimester of your pregnancy. It's the trimester after your baby arrives mm-hmm. and there's so much that goes into it that no one thinks about or it, talks about and no, it's so important. It's all about, yeah, the birth, which is over before you know it. That's right. Whereas fourth trimester lasts months. It does. Fourth trimester can feel like it lasts years for people. Here I am five years later. Hello. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But still, I was going to say, like, I won't talk about breastfeeding here because we're going to do a whole episode on that. But that was something else that I was really naive about the first time around. I thought, well, I've got decent sized boobs. Like, I'm going to be able to breastfeed a baby. And... That on top of an unplanned emergency cesarean, Ella being a really unsettled baby, which more on that another time too, and just trying to figure out the most unnatural natural thing, which is breastfeeding. Let's just say the first few months were pretty trying Mm. with Ella. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's your birth story. That's birth story number one. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, there was a lot to unpack in that. Yeah, and I guess I wanted to dive into that and the specifics of it because it's what really led me to do things so differently the second time around. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You learned a lot from that. I did. Experience. And you learned a lot from your next experience as well. I learned even more. I didn't know there was more to learn, but yeah. I feel like there's always more to learn with birth. Yes. And I feel like the hospital system's always evolving as well with new practices and things in place. So you need to always be learning if you know, you're looking to pop a baby out anytime soon. Well, I'm thinking that we do a whole nother episode on Chelsea Baby's birth story because you need a breather. <sighs> Yeah. Okay. And let's go have a quick shampers while we we set up for baby number two. Okay, let's do it. Well, thank you very much for sharing. We both got emotional in that, which was to be expected because when I cry, you cry and vice versa. (laughs) (laughs) But like you said, you have overcome that birth story because you have digested it and you have worked through it, but it took a couple of years. It took a few years. Yeah, it really did. I think you even found some closure this year, or sorry, last year, 2023, when we sat down with Dr. Hugh and spoke about inductions. I did. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I sort of looked at you and I thought, I think you're going to feel a little bit better now knowing that this happened and that and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's ever for evolving for you, but it's something that could have happened sooner. Yeah. Look, better late than never. That's right. So thank you for being so open, honest and vulnerable with us. You're welcome. All right. We'll be back. Bye. Bye.